usually they have like a name up there that tells you who is here. Like it'll say Wes, worship minister. It'll say Buddy, preaching minister. I didn't know if with me it was going to say member at large or member that's large or what was going to happen. But I, I, am, I am filling in for Buddy today. I'm Paul Evans. used to be on staff here. When I was thinking back through all the years of ministry, let's go back in time to the 1900s. Way back in the 1900s, I owned a fitness center. Now, I was sitting in that fitness center. We opened up at 5 a.m., and we would shut down at 9 p.m. That was a long, long day. And I'm sitting in one of those excruciating long days one day. The phone rang. I pick it up. It's Claude Flynn from 10th Street Church in Opelika. Claude Flynn, uh, some of you guys know him. He is Gail Durden's dad. He's from South Africa. And I said, hello. He said, hey, brother. I knew exactly who it was, right? Hey, brother, our youth minister has left. We need you to come be our youth minister. I'm like, yes. I didn't pray about it. I wasn't like, you know, but I love, I love being in the gym from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. doing almost nothing. I love that. I was like, yes, Claude, I will come be your youth minister. I told my business partner, I'm going to go be this youth minister, and I will come down some, but I think we ought to sell the place. So we sold the place, and I went up. And what happens when you are new at a church, you get invited to eat everywhere. Everybody invites you over to eat because this is a southern thing to do. Maybe it's a hospitable thing to do. The challenge is I only eat four or five things. And they never asked me one time if I cared about the menu, which I did care about the menu because I'm also wired in a way that is, is like, I don't eat things just to, like, make you feel okay. Like, if the entire situation was a casserole, if I was going to make you feel okay, I would just say, I feel the Lord's impressed a fast upon me. That would be how I saved your feelings. Most of the time, I would just go, you know what? I'm looking at that, and I don't know what it is. So I'm going to have to pass on that. So we sit down at the table. We, get, we actually get to the, the elders' houses, all the elders and their wives, which is big time when you get invited with the elders and wives because you've got to be on your best behavior. So I'm sitting down at the table, and they, I'm looking at the spread. I'm feeling pretty good. They got roast, which I eat. They got mashed potatoes, which I eat. And they've got green beans that look extremely plain. And I thought, well, I can eat those if I have to, and they will take up room on the plate. So I had my plate fixed. I had my dinner roll on there. It was all situated. No foods touching, as it was in Bible times. No foods <laughs> touching. And I thought, man, I've got it made. And one of the elders' wives says, you did not get any squash casserole. I said, it's okay. I've got plenty on my plate right here. I don't need any squash casserole. She said, you've got to try my squash casserole. I said, no, ma'am, I don't really care for squash casserole. I think that I'll pass it this time. I didn't go into, I don't eat vegetables. But I just said, I don't, I don't really care for squash casserole. She says, you're going to eat it. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. She said, you're going to try it because it doesn't taste like squash. I said, well, why did you make it? She scoops up the squash casserole, puts it on my plate, thus contaminating the entire situation. I'm like, I can't even, I can't even eat now. Everything's contaminated. I said, well, you can put it there, but I'm not eating it. 
She takes her fork, sticks it in the squash casserole, holds it up to my mouth. I said, She came forward with it. I went, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm getting kicked under the table. Everybody's horror. They're like, Claude, you hired this guy. I said, mm-mm. She held it up. And I mean, just like, like a particle, a particle hit my lip. Just a particle. I felt the shutters start to hyperventilate. It's breaking out. But I tasted it. I tasted it. And I said, You are right. That does not taste like squash. I don't know what it tastes like, and I'm not eating any more of it. It was a rough night. Dinners are dangerous. And in Luke 7, Jesus gets invited to dinner. And it's a tough situation. It's a dangerous situation, not because of what was served, but because of who Shows up. Somebody shows up that is unescorted, which was huge back in the day. Uninvited. Unwanted. And unworthy. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is the way it was done back then. It wasn't any table and chairs. It was a low table, maybe not a table at all. But you would just recline. You would lay on your side. I would demonstrate, but I can't get back up. But you'd lay on the side, and you would lean on one elbow, preferably your left, because that's the way it needed to be done. You would eat with your right hand. And so Jesus is reclined at the table, along with other guests that are there. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster box of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So you've got Simon, you've got Jesus, you've got the woman. You've got Simon there as the one who is invited. And make no mistake that even though he invited Jesus, he is at the top of the chain in that house. He's at the head of the table. He's at the most prominent place. He is the one who gives the invitation. And so basically what Simon says is, come to me. He's elevated himself. He says, come to me. Come to my house, to my place, because I'm different than you, and I am better than you. The woman, on the other hand, when it comes to Jesus, says, I will come to you. I won't sit and wait. I won't be on the sideline. I won't hope that he steps by. I'm going to go to him. He, she goes to Jesus. Maybe she'd heard him preach. Maybe she'd seen his miracles. But she knew that Jesus was safe. She knew that Jesus was safe. In our lives, our personalities, our wiring, our church, 
Do people know, people who are not like us, do people know that we're safe? Do they know that it's okay for them to come because it's safe? And so the woman came to Jesus, and you got Simon who also was basically saying, I'm more than. I'm more than. I'm more than Jesus. I'm at the head of the table. I'm more than this woman because she is a sinner. More than. The woman, on the other hand, felt like she was less than. She knew she did not measure up. This woman is not having a false vision of herself or her background or where she comes from. She's aware. But she comes and she knows that she's less than. She sees herself as she is. Simon sees himself as who he wants to be seen as. Simon saw the woman as a sinner. The woman saw Jesus as the Savior. The way that we look and the way that we judge and the way that we compartmentalize, we box, we stereotype, and we all do it, is are we looking with the eyes of Simon? Are we looking with the eyes of Jesus? And maybe most of all, we should be looking at with the eyes of the woman who in humility came and in humility was less than and in humility needed the Savior. Not her own power, not her own, I deserve, not coming to Jesus with boldness, but in humility, weeping. Her actions, she weeps, she wets his feet, she anoints him, she kisses him. And the Pharisee said, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him, what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, which is always kind of cool, right? Because he didn't say anything out loud and it's kind of a little bit uncomfortable when you're the guy thinking the bad thought and Jesus like reveals all kind of that little awkward moment. Jesus answers him and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Simon's over here going, <laughs> this guy that I invited, he has lost it. I've heard all this reputation about him being a prophet, all this reputation about him being a rabbi, reputation of being a holy man. This woman comes in that should not even be here and is touching him, basically making him unclean because of her lifestyle. This man is no prophet. And Jesus answers him with a story And a story that's really our story, and it's Simon's story, and it's this woman's story. We don't know if Simon actually catches on or not, but that's what Jesus is teaching, right? The first thing is that he's basically saying everyone has debt. All have a debt. That's the first aspect of this story. All have a debt. Secondly, nobody can pay it. Everyone has debt. doesn't matter if it was the... The 50 denarii or the 500, everybody has debt and nobody can pay it. 
in our background, in our situation, in our sin, some in this room have probably felt like I've sinned big. So big that you hope it always stays a secret. And others of you are like, yeah, I'm a sinner, but you know, my sins, they're not just like rocking it. I can't even brag about my sin. I've been pretty good overall. And Jesus is saying, even if you've got like a low level of sin debt or a high level of sin debt, it really doesn't matter because sin debt is debt, period. And nobody can pay for it. Nobody can pay off the debt. All need forgiveness. And all have been forgiven. In our situation of what we've seen this past week, the racial tension, I'm sure there's, there's some that have been elevated in this city just because of the past week. And we know that there's an elevation in Dallas and in other cities. And there's an elevation because there's a wrong vision. There's a vision of better than or different or more than or less than instead of everybody has a debt. Nobody can pay it. But all have been forgiven. And Jesus goes on to say the truth is that the greater you're forgiven, the greater you love. The more you realize that you have a need to be forgiven, the greater you love and see people differently because you see other people as you. Instead of seeing other people as someone else. Out of everything that God created, out of the seas and the mountains and the trees and all these things that we, we love to, to see the beauty in. You talk to people about how they worship the best. A lot of people will say, I love to be out in nature because when I'm in nature, that's when I feel the closest to God. And yet man is the only one that it said that he made in his own in his own image. And so when we look at our brothers and our sisters, and whether it's class or dress or race, and we see something different, we're forgetting that we're all, all, all made, created, shaped intentionally in his image. And when we realize that we all, all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all have been forgiven, then we see each person as one in need of just as much forgiveness as the other. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He ends up giving a a really great scene that would have been highly uncomfortable in this situation. So Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. He said, you've judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. This is like, to me, one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire Bible. This woman was used to being avoided unless there was payment on the line. 
unless someone came looking for her for pleasure. She was used to being avoided. She was used to being alone. She was used to people crossing the street if she was on the same side of the street. She was used to men casting their eyes down, not looking at her, casting their eyes down and shaking their heads in judgment. She was used to that. Simon, on the other hand, was used to being held up in high esteem. He was used to attention. He was used to acclaim. And he was used to being the focal point of the conversation. And Jesus turns his back on Simon. And he looks to the woman. But he speaks to Simon. In our culture, we wouldn't think much about that. But in their culture, he basically said... The most important person in this room at this moment is this woman. Simon is shamed. Just at this point, just with the turning of the back, just with the woman getting the attention, Simon is shamed and embarrassed at his own party. Jesus turns away from Simon And toward the woman, and he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? This language is so rich. It's not, are you aware that she's here? Because Simon was really aware that she was there. There's no question that Simon knew, What in the world is this woman doing here? Do I see her? But Jesus is not asking if he recognizes that she's in the room, Jesus is asking, do you see her? Do you know her? A lot of our challenges in this world is that we cannot connect with other people. Is that we see people on the surface, but we don't see people Inside, We don't know the hurts and the harms in the fields. And those of you who have been at Landmark for many years probably remember Willie when Willie was here. And he was in our RSVP program. And a lot of us would pick up Willie for different things. And I would pick him up and, and take him from, I think it was Three Fountains Apartments. And would take him down the Atlanta Highway to Church's Chicken because that's where he would work. And he would tell me all about making the chicken every time that we got in the car. And so one day I got in the car and he said... Uh, He said, how's it going, Mr. Paul? I said, it's going pretty good. Willie, how you doing? He said, I'm doing pretty good, Mr. Paul, pretty good. And then he said, no. No, Mr. Paul, I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good at all. He said, you know, I've had a tough life, and and I've been addicted to drugs for a lot of years. And then he said, I remember being stopped at, at the light at Monticello. And we were stopped there at the intersection. And he looks at me and he says, do you feel me? Do you feel me? Do you see me? Do you know me? He didn't even wait for my answer. He said, you can't feel me, Mr. Paul. You've never been on drugs. You're not black. I said, Willie, 
you are correct on both of those. You are astute. I said, Willie, you're so right. I can't feel you because I haven't lived there. Simon did not want to see the woman. Jesus forced him to. And sometimes we need to be forced to see each other. To see how we've been made fearfully and wonderfully. To get to know. So I started asking Willie questions about his background and his past. Not that I would be able to empathize with him because I've been there. But I could have a sympathetic relationship because I actually knew him instead of just picking him up and taking him to work, right? You could pick somebody up for work for years and never get to know them if you chose. So Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? And then if turning his back wasn't enough shame, he just decided to do like a shame Simon list. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house and these were the minimums. This list was the minimums. These were the very basics of what you did to any guest who came into your home in this day. You did not give me water for my feet. This is basic. Back then, you did not enter a house without having your feet either washed or there being a basin there to wash your feet. You did not, you did not wash my feet. Yet she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. This woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven loves Little. This is a huge indictment against Simon. And Simon is not feeling good. Simon's not like, whoo, you know what? I tell you what, somebody bring the basin in here. Let's get this straight, straight now, right now. My bad, I was a bad host. It was a judgment against Simon and the elevation of this woman who was uninvited and wasn't even supposed to be there. Simon, this sinner, this one that you wrote off, the one that you put the stereotype on, the one that you've questioned, the one that you don't want to see, she's done the very things to me that you were supposed to, and she's not even supposed to be here. Simon is shamed. He says the reason Simon that you see her so differently is that you don't feel forgiven. At least not of much because you're holy and you're righteous and you're above her. And you're in a leadership position in your spiritual work. You're a Pharisee. You feel above everybody. And so you can't love correctly because you don't think you've got much to be forgiven of. The woman, on the other hand, knew she had a lot to be forgiven of. And Jesus says that she's loved greatly. And their love, their love was displayed not in talk, but in action. Because Simon didn't love, he didn't wash feet, he didn't kiss, and he didn't anoint. Because the woman did love, she wet his feet with her tears and wiped them. She kissed his feet and she anointed them. We can talk all we want about getting along and loving other people, but it shows up in how we act and the 
the, the actions we take, not in the words that we say. So we can post on Facebook all day long about how things ought to improve and things ought to be different and we should see people differently. We can talk about that all day long and certainly there needs to be some discussion, but more than that, there needs to be action and there needs to be a difference. Well, Paul, what's the plan on that? How do we go about doing that? You love people. There is no plan. There does not need to be a committee meeting. There's no group that needs to get together to formulate. All right, well, what we're going to do this week is on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, we're going to pray about love. And on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, we're going to get some folks together and we're going to go out and do some things to show. We just love. We just love. There's not a plan There's not a sign-up sheet. There's not a ministry division. It's simply who we're supposed to be because God loved first. Tony Campalo is a sociologist and a theologian. He was in Hawaii years ago, and his body clock was all messed up because of the flight and jet lag, and he found himself awake at 3 in the morning. He's just starving, and he said everything's closed down except like this greasy spoon diner. And he goes in at 3 a.m., and, and the, the guy that owned the place was still there. His wife was there. He said the place, he says, was truly greasy spoon. It was just nasty. There could not have been a health rating in existence. So the guy comes up and says, what do you want? And he said, I'm looking at the menu. I'm looking around. I see some donuts under a glass, little glass case, and I thought possibly that could be safe. So I ordered a cup of coffee and a donut. And so Joe comes over, pours me a cup of coffee, lifts up the glass case, wipes his hand on his apron, reaches in, grabs me a donut, sets it down right in front of me. I thought, whew, I hope I survive. So I'm drinking my coffee and I'm eating my donut when in come two prostitutes. And it's obvious that they had had a hard hard life and obviously a hard hard night he said i don't remember one of the the prostitutes name the other one was named agnes and joe says agnes how's it going she goes it's going good joe it's been kind of a long night but i'm excited about tomorrow because tomorrow's my birthday and the other prostitute said agnes who cares about your birthday we don't care about your birthday she said oh okay but I've never had a birthday party. But tomorrow's my birthday. So they get their food and they leave and Tony says, hey Joe, I've got an idea. Why don't we throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow night? He said, that's a great idea. He said, does she come in about the same time every night? He said, yeah, almost the exact same time, about 3.30 every single morning, she comes in. We'll, I know all the prostitutes. I'll get all the prostitutes in here, and we'll have this huge party. And Tony's like, that's great. I'll get the decorations, and I'll pick up a cake. And Joe goes, no, 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 no. Cake's my department. Tony's like, oh, it's going to be one nasty cake. So they plan it up. Joe gets word out. All the prostitutes in the area show up about 3 a.m. They're in this greasy diner. About 3.30 a.m., Agnes walks in. They shout surprise. They sing happy birthday. They bring out the birthday cake, and Agnes is just pouring tears. And Joe says, blow out the candles. She said, no, 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 no. I live two doors down. 
and I've never had a birthday cake. Can I go and show my mom? He said, yeah, go, go show your mom. And she took the cake and she left. And the place is filled with prostitutes and it's quiet. And Tony says, I didn't know what to do. So I said, let us pray. And we prayed. And Joe says, wait a minute. You said you were a sociologist. You lied to me. You're a preacher. What kind of church do you preach for? Tony said, in one of those moments where I think I said the exact right thing, I said, I preach for a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Joe says, no, you don't. Because I'd be a member of a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all be a member of a church like that? That didn't judge the prostitute. That didn't judge the way somebody dressed or looked. That didn't judge based on race. But instead loved and threw the party regardless. It's tough. So this morning, there's just like no way to escape trying to discover who we are in the story. We're either Simon or we're the woman And maybe some of us are actually Jesus. But we're in this story. Some of us have been extremely judgmental and measuring the life of every single other person in order to better ourselves and to feel better about who we are. Others of us have even been forgiven but feel so low that we feel unworthy. And in this story, Jesus is saying, you are worthy because I've made you worthy. And then he says this at the very, very end of this passage. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When's the last time she had peace? When's the last time she felt accepted? When's the last time she felt worthy? So maybe here this morning, some of you are in a spirit of unrest. You don't feel peace in your life. It might be because of a situation. It might be because of a sin. It might be because of an individual. But you don't feel peace. And the beautiful thing about being the body of Christ is that we get to come and lay all of that down because we need to be the type of church that accepts and that loves and that prays and that secures and that's, that rallies around to the point where we leave in peace. And not in pieces. So this morning, if you've got a need, if you need to pray with us, if you want to be saved, or if you just want to lay down your burden, whether it's a burden like Simon or a burden like this woman, now is the time. Let's stand and sing together.